Can you imagine the horror? Imagine the the reality of what happened in Egypt, the the horror, the sheer the sheer terror of what happened that night. Every family in Egypt, from, from the prince on the throne to the prisoner in the dungeon, every firstborn of Egypt dying. Imagine imagine the grief, the loss, imagine the the horror of that night. So many families where 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 the 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 life as they knew it before has ended and and from from this point forward there is only the the past before and what has happened since that life itself has been divided by this terrible terrible tragedy uh, we we've seen it coming we we knew that this was inevitable we were told back in chapter 4 that God would have to do this. And we've seen over the last six chapters, uh, last week we, we, we began this uh, part of the conversation by looking um, at what happened when Moses went to Pharaoh. Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh will not be persuaded. Despite the, the signs and wonders that Moses has shown him, Pharaoh will not be persuaded. And so over the next six chapters, God raises the pressure. God intensifies the heat. But Pharaoh's heart only becomes more hard. Pharaoh is stubborn. And so we see this coming, and at the same time we dread this final blow. We are in this conversation about the exodus, the road out. And what we've been learning um, is that God helps people who are in in difficult situations. And what we see today is sometimes the cost of that help can be more than we could have imagined. So we have been prepared. We know how horrific this this event will be because we've seen how bad the things were that preceded it. All of the plagues of Egypt, the, the river turning to blood, the, the plagues of frogs and flies, of gnats and and uh, locusts and and darkness and hail and fire all the plagues of Egypt have prepared us for this and we saw as they became more and more intense nevertheless Pharaoh would not be persuaded so we know it's going to happen and then it doesn't for 28 verses with the hammer raised ready to come down we get 28 verses of obscure instructions, these arcane uh, details about a, a, a ritual that is not even something that Christians observe. We don't celebrate, we don't observe the Passover. So why does the, why does the narrative stop just when we have prepared for the worst? Why does the narrative stop? Is it to flinch? Is it to look away? Is it to say, I can't watch? Far from it. It's it's the very opposite. It's to say, remember this. Pay close attention. Watch what happens. And then repeat it over and over and over again for all eternity. Until such time as the Messiah comes. I think most Christians have an uneasy relationship with rituals. 
Rituals, rituals, it, it, it's so easy to, to have rituals go wrong. Sometimes, like, like some of the things we'll see in this passage, rituals can just be opaque. We just look at them and go, I don't even get that. What, why do they do that? Uh, when I was uh, first becoming a Christian, the, the church that we were participating in had this uh, complicated uh, um, marching around. It was like halftime at a, at a, a Big Ten football game or something uh, because the, the, um, the, the ushers who collected the offering, they would like come to the middle and then they'd like turn around. And they had this whole complicated ritual about the way that they received the offerings. And I, I kind of thought... Is that like in the book someplace? Do you have to do that? What's what's up with that? And and um, uh, as you can see from the fact we don't do it here, it's not required. So, um, but but rituals can can take over. Rituals can can uh, can become more important than the thing that they're actually doing, or the thing that they signify. And so, so sometimes uh, a ritual can become this this um, uh, complicated practice that that um, that. If you do it wrong, then you think, you know, that that's what's important. And in some cases, it can be the opposite. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. We just have to kind of check this box. It's, 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 it's an empty ritual. And God cautions us against both. It, beginning in the Hebrew scriptures, we see the, the prophet Isaiah. I think we have a slide. Um, the prophet Isaiah, uh, uh, speaks, uh, God, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, um, to warn the, the Israelites. There should be a slide. Oh, there's no slides? Hold on a moment. Try advancing. What's next? I'm curious. Okay, there we go. The prophet Isaiah. Okay, all right. So <laughs> um, so that job is harder than it looks, by the way. And let me, let me remind you, we are looking for people who will learn those skills because... Uh, we're going to have some absences in the next couple of months. So, all right, uh, the prophet Isaiah. So the prophet Isaiah, uh, God speaks through the prophet to say this, who asked you to come before me? Who asked this from you? This trampling of my temple's courts. Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. God is disgusted by empty worship, that worship that has become uh, disassociated from its ultimate significance. The prophet Amos it has even stronger language. Uh, God says through the prophet Amos, I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. God is very negative about empty worship. And Jesus echoes that kind of thinking. In fact, in one case, he actually echoes Isaiah. Jesus uh, speaks to some some uh, uh, people and calls them hypocrites. He says, "He says Isaiah knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is empty, since they teach instructions that are human rules." So we have this uneasy relationship with ritual. Ritual can go wrong. And yet God commands it because ritual is important. Ritual is something we can't simply say, well, that's a dumb ritual. I'm not going to do it. Ritual is an important way of how we learn. I, um, 
I think, you know, this is certainly, it's, it's, it's a, it's a conceit that I have that I sometimes fall prey to. I, um, I'm an engineer. I went to an engineering school. I, th- I think, therefore I am. I, uh, to me, everything's about the brain. But you know, the brain isn't a disembodied thing. Even, even if this was a science fiction movie and we were all brains floating in a, you know, vats of nutrients or something like that, that's a body. Okay, it's not much of a body, but it's still a body. We have bodies. We are embodied creatures. And most of us aren't even brains floating in in vats. I think most of us have a whole body. And ritual is an important way that we we take things into us. It's an important way of the way we learn. When my when my kids were young, they would do this. I think every parent can can relate to this story. Our kids uh, show us how important rituals are. When when my when my children were young, they would um they love this movie, Apollo 13. This is a well-worn um, uh, disc. We have seen it many times. Um, but no matter how many times we watched the movie, no matter how many times we watched Apollo 13, they would act it out. They would they would collect all of the, the toys, every toy in the house that had a keyboard or had a buttons you could press, and they would, they would set them around their uh, car seats. They would sit in their car seats, which are kind of like astronaut seats. They would sit in their car seats, and they would... Uh, they would start acting out. They would ritualize Apollo 13. They would say things like, "Like Houston, we have a problem, and um, and uh, we are venting something into space." And they would say, um, "Are we on Vox?" And they would say, um, "What was the other one? Uh, we've got a main bus B undervolt." And I don't know what that is. I don't know what a main bus B undervolt is. And they certainly did didn't. But it was a ritual. It was what they did to take in, to, to, to understand at a deep level what they had seen in the video. Rituals are important because we are embodied creatures. We can't simply say, well, my head knows it. God knows better than that. God knows, God knows us because he made us and God made us uh, embodied creatures and we don't know something fully until we have embodied it, until it has become a part of us. We actually use these languages. We talk about, we talk about, I didn't grasp that. Or we say, he took it in. We, we, we talk about apprehending things as if you could like catch them and, you know, hold on to them. Um, so, uh, w- w- when we flunk a test, we say, well, I couldn't, I crammed all night, but I couldn't hold on to it. That there's this idea that, that knowledge is more than simply the, the things in your head. Knowledge is, is who we are. And so rituals are important and God gives us these rituals, and I think it's the it's the eagerness with which children embrace rituals. I think grown-ups sometimes think that you know, no, just give me you know, give me the facts, just the facts, ma'am. Um, that we think we can we can get by with simple facts, and I think because children are so eager to embrace the ritualistic part of learning. God anticipates their questions. God God knows kids will ask questions, and that's why he says he says um, he says. Uh, you should observe this as a ritual for your children. When you enter the land and your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? The, the, the kids will say, I want to understand. I want to get this ritual. I want to, I want to, you know, embrace this ritual. I want to really get into it. I want to understand it at a deep level. I'm going to be a part of this ritual. Help me understand how I can make it more a part of myself. God's, God says, when they do that, you will answer it as the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. So, 
So God anticipates that question. God knows that there will be questions about the ritual from the children. There will probably also be questions from the adults. And unfortunately, uh, not all of the questions have answers. In fact, I was, I was going through this and saying, you know, there's so little here that I really have any good understanding of. Um, and maybe the, the answer is you just have to do the ritual and you begin to understand. Um, there's, there's, there's so many things in here. It talks about the 14th day of the moon. I'm just going to give that as an example. It's up at the very beginning. It talks about doing this the 14th day of the month. Why the 14th day? Well, they had a, they had a lunar calendar. And so the 14th day is easy to figure out. It's halfway through the month. So if you start the month on the new moon, then 14 days later, it is it is the full moon. Full moons are easy to judge. You look up, and if it looks a little ratty on one side or the other, then you say it's not full yet. So tomorrow or two, a day ago, oops, um, was the full moon. So it's easy to tell the full moon. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe not. Maybe the reason is because Pharaoh is going to expel you from Egypt in the middle of the night, and they don't have streetlights. And so you're going to be walking in the dark on your way into a place you've never been because you've been slaves and couldn't go there. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. It's not explained. And it goes on. You know, why Why do you have to roast the, the sacrifice? Why can't you boil it? Why can't you fricassee it? Why, why must you barbecue the sacrifice? Why? No answer. What's up with the hyssop? What's up with... With all these things, why the doorposts? Why not the door? You know, there, there's so many things here that that are that are simply stated but not explained. Now, there there are a handful of things that are explained. It says you should um, you should dress funny. You should, even though you're indoors for the night, you should dress like you weren't. You should have your sandals on your feet and your walking stick in your hand. You should be wearing your boots and your overcoat, and the car should already be pulled out of the garage and the engine should be running. Okay, because you're going to be leaving soon. You should have your walking stick in your hand. So why is that? Well, he, this one, we get an answer for it. It says, you should eat the meal in a hurry. I'll pass to Egypt that night. So, so we understand, sometimes God's in a hurry. It has been 400 years of slavery for Israel. And they might be, be wondering, well, you know, God has been comfortable waiting so long, so... You know, I'll do this ritual and then we'll see what happens. But instead, God says, be ready because it's going to happen this night. And when I read that, I was thinking about, there's a passage in the um, the New Testament where Jesus was regularly uh, 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 criticized for, um, for healing on the Sabbath. And uh, he kept doing it and they kept criticizing him. And in one case, a woman came to him who had been disabled for 18 years. She had been bent over for 18 years, and Jesus uh, went, uh, proceeded to heal her, and the, the synagogue official said, today's the Sabbath. She can come back tomorrow. She's been, she's been disabled for 18 years. She can wait another day. And Jesus rejected that idea. To him, it was preposterous that this woman should have to wait even one more day. If you've been enslaved for 400 years, it is preposterous to think you can wait one more day. The scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. If today you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart, because today is the day of salvation. So there are some things that are explained, and the strange costumes while we eat is one of them. The other one is the blood. As I mentioned to the children, 
Blood is troublesome. Why, why blood? Why is there blood? You know, later in this, in this, uh, story of the, of the journey of the people of God from Egypt to, to the promised land, they will spend some time in the wilderness and then when they finally come into Canaan, when they come into the land of Canaan, they will, they will encounter a woman named Rahab and in, in that case, uh, famously, there's a bit of red yarn that's used to identify which which one of the the rooms has to be spared. Who who in the town that's that's being attacked must be <clears throat> pardon me must be spared? Why not red yarn? You know, if red yarn works for 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 people, why not for God? What is it with the blood? Why blood? Well, we know because sacrifice is expensive. Sacrifice costs. And in this case, the Egyptians will suffer. Back in, um, can you move forward? Back in chapter 4, uh, God says to the Israelites, um, one more. God said in chapter 4, um, it's, uh, God says, I will strike down the oldest child in the land of Egypt both humans and animals. I'll impose judgments on all the gods of Egypt. All right. I think I'm, I'm being misled by my own labeling of those slides. So so God says that here. God says that here in... Um, all right. Let me collect myself. So God says, God says that there will be um, a judgment. God will judge Egypt. Now, what he says is, I will judge the gods of Egypt. In this passage, he says, I'll impose judgments on the on the gods of Egypt. But the judgment won't fall on them. The judgment will fall on these these firstborn people in Egypt. All the people we heard about, the, the those who those who die um, in this this horror that is about to be inflicted. God is judging the gods, but not Egypt. Back in chapter four. This is the instruction that Moses was given. He said, say to Pharaoh, so tell Pharaoh this. This is what the Lord says, Israel is my oldest son. I said to you, let my son go so that he could worship me. But you refused to let him go. And as a result, I'm going to kill your oldest son. God says, this is the only thing that Pharaoh will be persuaded by. This is the only thing that will finally cause Pharaoh to give in. And then he spends the next six chapters proving it, that God did not rush to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. But he did kill them because Pharaoh would not let the people go. And the reason is because Israel is his firstborn. He says, Israel is my firstborn child. That's how much I love Israel. It is my firstborn. And the blood of the lamb signifies the blood of the Egyptians. This is going to be a painful, this is going to be a horrific act of violence in order to achieve God's purpose. But Israel must be freed because Israel is not God's only child. Israel is God's firstborn child. But God has so many other children. The Egyptians are children of God. And so Israel must be freed because it is out of Israel that a Savior will come not just for the Israelites, but for all the people. Because ultimately, the Lamb doesn't only represent the blood that will be spilled this night. The Lamb represents the Lamb of God, the spotless, 
the blemishless Lamb of God, the, the Lamb who was slain. The, the, the Lamb represents Jesus Christ. And His blood represents the blood of the cross. That Israel must be freed from Egypt so that a Savior can come from Israel. It is His blood that saves us. It is His death that frees us, not from some earthly oppressor, but from the very power of sin and death. So, the Lamb represents the cost of this liberation. There are some differences. The, the, the Lamb, like the, the Egyptians, are unwilling victims. They didn't get a vote, but Jesus did. Jesus left the comfort of heaven and for the joy set before him endured the shame of the cross. There's another difference. The, the story in Exodus is a horror and it is something to be remembered because it is a horror. In all the Hebrew scriptures, whenever the Passover is described the words that are used are to keep the Passover, to observe the Passover. The Passover is not, it cannot be a celebration. It cannot be a celebration because it is so terrible. There's one exception, and uh, and, and I think that that exception, I, I, I could go down that rabbit hole, but there, there's, a, there's an obvious reason why that exception is made. But every single other place where the Passover is spoken of, the Passover is kept. But we have a celebration because Jesus took this meal. Jesus celebrated this meal. He said, "He said, I have long waited to celebrate this Passover with you. And at that meal, Jesus transformed it. He changed the meal to be about him and what he was doing. It's no longer about a lamb. It's no longer about Egyptians. It is about him and his sacrifice And because of that, it is not an observance. It is a celebration. It is the joyous feast of the people of God. Scripture tells us they will come from east and west and north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. Scripture tells us that people from Israel, but also people from Egypt, even people in Anchorage, will come together around the table of the Lord. So I invite you to prepare your hearts for the gift that is offered at this table.